Hey everybody! Hi there! Welcome back to Planet and God. We are going through our Gospel Before the New Year challenge, reading challenge. We are near the end. Yep. We are in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. Now don't worry if you're catching us at this point in time. All of the other chapters are recorded. You can just start at, at chapter 1 and work your way to 26 or 28 at any point in time. We're not planning on taking the videos down unless we're told to. So, without further ado, let's get into Matthew 26. So, I broke it down with verses 1 and 2 to start. So, before we get into verses 1 and 2... Oh, you have... Thoughts. A very minor thought on the chapter 26. So chapter 26 from, so we just finished the Olivet Discourse in 24 and 25. And chapter 26, you now see Matthew's narrative shift from Jesus ministering to his disciples uh, to the events leading up to his death. So from 26 through 28... We have the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. And these are all of the events that, well, are contained within Matthew's account. Um, you could do a harmony of the Gospels to study all of the events that happen. Uh, but that's not what we're doing. We're looking at Matthew. so It's super condensed in Matthew. I did notice that too. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We just jumped from one yep. thing to the next to the next. So, um, but anyway... So, was that so your... That's, that's it. Let's get into it. I, I broke it down starting off verses 1 through 5, but let's hear what you got. Well, no, just 1 and 2. I just noted, noticed that, again, Jesus is preparing his disciples that he's going yep. to be, you know, dying on a cross. Right. He makes the final, final prediction for his death. Yep. And then 3 to 5, um, I just... You can totally see the evil from the Pharisees. Yeah. And like all the plotting and the planning. Right. You know, that they're trying to get rid of Jesus. And it's, there's just, I just, I don't know how anybody could plan something like that without just being totally evil on the right. side. You know what I mean? Well, you have that, the evil behind it. But then you also have, you see Satan's plan in here. Because Satan does not want Jesus to die on the cross on the day of Passover. Because if he does, he now fulfills the feast of Passover. If he can get Jesus to die on any other day, which we've seen him try to do many times, that nullifies Jesus as the Messiah, as the one who can atone for sins. However, God is not a fool. No. Satan is not in control. God's plan is God's, still God's right. plan, and that's how it works Despite out. <laughs> Satan's best efforts, the events start rolling, and Jesus dies on the day of Passover. God is the one who is so in control. So then we go into, I, I have like verse 10, right? I kind of... Yeah, I broke down um, 6 through 13. <clears throat> you have Mary anointing Jesus here for his death. Um, the, the oil that's used is roughly 300 denarii. That's a year's worth of wages. Um, I did make a note that there is a link to the Jewish wedding here within this context. A woman would typically save for the oil, she'd buy it, and then use it on her wedding night so she wouldn't smell like a smelly woman. thought you guys liked that. Eh, not that smelly. <laughs> um, however, in this instance, the woman is using that to pay her devotion, devotion to 
the Lord Jesus Christ and then anointing him for his burial. Yeah, I really loved verse um, 10, the latter half of verse 10, where it says, For she has done a good work for me. Yeah. Right? Her heart is for the Lord. I really liked that. Yep. Um, anyway, because you can see the plotting and planning behind... I'm pretty sure one of the other Gospels does say that it's Judas that actually asks the question. Yes. So we know Judas's heart already is sour. Well, that brings us into verses 14 through 16. Yes, and I jumped. You, that's fine, but that <laughs> this just goes to show Ju Judas's response is, or Jesus's response is what triggers Judas. Judas was the keeper of the money. He often stole from the, the money bag. We see this in the Gospel of John. And Judas is motivated that this is what his love for money is what motivates him to object the anointing and eventually the, betray him for the 30 pieces of silver. Yeah. That was to fulfill Zechariah 11.12 and Exodus 21.32, the 30 pieces of silver being a reference to the price of a dead slave. So then we go down further. What what section do you have next? Because I um, jumped to 22. 17 through 25. So mine's still within your... Yeah, within this, within this section you have the last Passover meal during which Jesus betrays one who will betray him and then he calls out the betrayer. Well, no one's really paying attention except for Judas. So what I find so interesting here is that they're asking, they're saying, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? You know? Yeah. Um, knowing that we're all capable right. of things that we like don't like about ourselves. Right? Yeah. We're all capable of doing things that we don't necessarily want to do. So all the disciples are like, Lord, is it I? Is it I? You know? Um, and I think that if I was in that position, I probably would have asked the same thing. Like, right. is it me? Like, am I like that bad person? That's, you know. Um, and then I find it even more interesting that you jump down to verse 25, where it says, Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, You have said it. So I wonder why he even asked when in his heart he already knew. Right. Judas, I mean, you know. Like, well, he could have just been asking to follow. I wondered that too. Follow right? the crowd. Maybe he was just following the crowd, but like I just, I'm like, you know, it's you. Yeah. Like, why would you then call it out and then have Jesus to respond and all the disciples here? Right. You know what I mean? Like, all that did was shine a light right on Judas. Yep. Like, I mean, I would think that would be terrible. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be so terrible. Um, and I guess. At that moment, wouldn't the guilt, like, if it were me, the guilt would have just eaten away right there. Right. I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, yep. but there was no guilt in that moment. It was just... No. Right. I don't know. But anyway, so I just thought that was interesting. Between the, you know, the disciples asking and then yeah. Judas asking. That is interesting. That is interesting. But, okay, then what do you have next? Um, then we get into 26 through 30. Uh, this is the institution of the Lord's Supper, during which, here at this point, during the uh, Passover Seder, this is what's known as the breaking of the middle matzo. So the matzo is the little bread that they would have, and so they had this tradition 
that three matzah are wrapped in a cloth and this cloth has three compartments. This is also called, and I'm going to murder the, the pronunciation, don't kill me, the afkomen af af ceremony. The middle matzah is removed, broken in half, half, wrapped in a different linen cloth, and then hidden. And then after dinner, it is found, broken into little pieces for everyone to eat. Now this creates a whole host of Christian symbolism for us. As Christians, we look at the traditions of the Seder, and we see how the Messiah is represented in them. So the cloth with the three compartments represents the Godhead, the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The middle matzah being referenced to the second person, the Son, who was broken for us, wrapped, hidden in a grave, and then three days later comes out, and now we share in the breaking of bread, remembering what he did for us, that he died for our sins. That is the symbolism that is essentially being wrapped up for us in this tradition. It's really cool. And so now you, and so now you have the institution of the Lord's Supper, which we do, our church does weekly, and I think that's good. I'd do it more often if we could because it's a great I need to constantly be reminded of things, and that's why he does, that. the Lord institutes things as a reminder. You think of the 12 stones that are set up when Israel crosses the river to remind them of what happened. You, this is a reminder. Of right, well, and I think even all the feasts yeah. in, in the Old Testament are all reminders yeah. of something that previously right. happened, right? Yep. So... And then we get into 27 through 29. Oh, yeah. This is the third cup of wine that's served during the ceremony. It's called the cup of redemption, and it symbolizes the blood of the lamb that was um, killed to save the firstborn Jewish sons. This cup now becomes a symbol of the blood of the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. With these two ceremonies now, Jesus has inaugurated the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 37. He declares he will not drink the cup, the Passover cup, until he drinks it anew with us in the Messianic kingdom. Um, again, breaking down the picture of the Jewish wedding system, the bride and groom share a cup during the engagement, and then they do not drink again until they come back together after the father tells the groom to go get his bride. Yeah, I, I noted that, um, right, Jesus is going to drink it again in his Father's kingdom, and we're going to be able to do that, too. I'm so yeah. excited. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then also verse 30 says that they sung a hymn yeah. together. I really liked that, too, because, I mean, they don't really, I mean, I know that there's songs within the Bible and within Scripture, but um, I thought that was really cool like it actually said I don't know that I've ever I've read that I'm sure yeah. multiple times but I think I just would read so quickly past it that it stuck out to me this time there you go so I like that um, so the next section what is 31 30 well so I did 30 through 56 as the overarching section oh wow you just like lumped the rest well I broke it down but that is like the the entirety of 
of what happens, 30 through 56. Um, you've got 30 through 35, Jesus talks about the prophecy that the disciples will abandon Jesus during his trial in fulfillment of Zechariah 13.7. Uh, 36 through 46, you have the Lord taking the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. They've, so I have some thoughts. Yeah. Um, well, 31 to 35 specifically, um, I thought, okay, I know I talked about the Lord is it I thing. Yeah. Um, but then in here, now they're all saying with confidence that they're not going to deny him. Right. So I, I find it interesting that they flip so quickly. I, I'm sure I do it too. Right. Um, but that in one moment they're like, oh my gosh, am I, you know, am I the that betrayer? person, right? And then in within like probably only a few hours or so, they're like, oh, I'm not going to deny you, yeah. you know? That's never going to happen. Right. So it's like there's this yep. lack of confidence and then bam, they have all this confidence. Right. <laughs> But um, even within that confidence, they fail to lack the urgent, uh, the grasp, the urgency that Jesus is trying to impose on them. Right. Because they fall asleep. Yeah. Yep. I um, see that too. Yeah. And then... Which for... I have something for verse 37. Go. Uh, so for verse 37, I just think it's so important to note that Jesus felt sorrowful and deeply distressed. I mean, these are yeah. feelings... These are like not like our physical hurts but these are like internal mental right. you know there's hurts. a lot of strain going on at this point in time right and i think sometimes we look at jesus and we think well he went through all this physical hurt but there was a mental side to this yep. too that was so difficult that i don't even think i could even comprehend no i can't even comprehend the physical stuff but like just knowing the mental stuff too because i think we look at and we're like well jesus went through it all and I'm reminded here that even the mental side of it, you know, because yep. we have so many mental disabilities that we don't, I don't even fathom. And Jesus understands that. And knows right. It. So, um, anyway, I didn't mean to... No, you're good. Um, I have something else on 39. Go for it. Oh, okay. Um, so 39 says that he went a little further and he fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so I really liked this as well because he knew what was coming. He knew it was going to be hard and he was praying for the father's will. And how often do I not do that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I want to do that. Yeah. I think I pray for my own comfort or my my own desires over what is the will of the Father. Right. It's so important to be reminded, you know, to pray for the Father's will. Over, Regardless. Like, yeah. Right. Over, like, our own desires right. in life. So, um, and then I jump down to verse 41. I'm just noting that... Our flesh is weak. Right? Oh, yeah. He's talking to the disciples. And they're sleeping. And they're sleeping. Right. They, like I said, they failed to grasp the urgency of yeah. the situation. Because we have a weak flesh. Yep. It's frustrating. It is very. <laughs> so frustrating. So, um, I also thought that it was interesting that Jesus was praying the same words. And sometimes when I go to God, I will say the same things. Um, and I think that he appreciates that consistency yeah. sometimes, you know. 
Yeah. I'm doing a lot of the talking now. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Um, so, anyway, I just found that very comforting that Jesus prayed the same words. Um, and I do that. There you go. So then I jumped down to 50. So, yeah, 47 through 56 okay. is, is the next <laughs> section that I have. Uh, Jesus is officially betrayed and arrested. He indicates that if it were God's will, he could have sent more than 60,000 angels yeah, at his side. Does that show you how many angels? Yeah. That well, that's he just, I mean, that just a tidbit of what yeah, he created one legion. when they were created. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Um, um, but to the betrayal part, um, verse 50, it says, But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? I find it really interesting that he still calls him friend here. Yeah. You know, Jesus still loves Judas. Oh, yeah. Even in the whole act of betrayal. Right. He's still willing and wants him to repent. Yeah. I really liked that as well. Yep. Um, and then, wait, what did your section go to? Because I have one in verse 56. So, all the way through 56, but then you have Peter, you know, tries to fight back. It's It's... The silliness of Peter, because when you look at the type of sword that Peter has, you look at the different words for swords in the Greek, and this one refers to like a small dagger. Like this is something you'd keep in your, like this is like my pocket knife. Yeah. It's not, it's not a battle sword like the Romans. So you have this temple guard that comes out to do the arrest, 600 men armed to the teeth, and then you have Peter with a dagger pocket knife, if you will. Well, look at the confidence he had. Though. I know, look at the confidence <laughs> he had. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, Peter, Jesus tells him to put away his sword. In verse 52, he says that all who live by the sword will die by the sword. Now, what he's referring to here is that you cannot use the sword to defend your faith. You cannot use the sword to push your faith onto another, right? It is... Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is not done through the sword. That's the point. You go to other religions, I'm going to call it out, the Muslim religion, right? Believe in Allah and Muhammad or die. That is not faith. That is not belief, right? If, if Right, it's a forced It's thing. forced. Right. And I'm not actually believing. I'm doing it because you're... You're threatening to kill me. Right. That's not what Christ is. That's not the case with Christianity. God does the work with Christianity. God works in the hearts and minds of men. Man does not force Christianity onto another. Right. However, the sword is permitted in cases of personal defense and defense of the state. So that's because a lot of times people will take this out of context and say, oh, see, you gun-carrying nuts. Jesus says you're going to die by the sword. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about in regard to the spreading of the gospel. You cannot spread the gospel by force. Right. So then verse... 56. 56. Um, where it talks about how the, all the di disciples forsook him and fled. Yep. 
Um, and I just noted that that fulfilled what Jesus had said in verses 31 through 35 of the same chapter. So I just thought that was important to note to go back and see that. Yeah, which again also fulfills Zechariah 13. Right. Which talks about them forsaking him. Okay, then what's your next section? Uh, 57 through 68. We get the trial before Caiaphas. Now, if you notice that there are many false witnesses that are brought before him, uh, Judas does not show up at this trial because he, the the whole point of hiring Judas was so that he would be the false witness before Pilate. That was Judas's role, was to go before Pilate, not here. This is the religious trial, and so... Uh, they are just trying to find grounds for charging Jesus with blasphemy. And that's essentially what they do. Because within, accordance to the Jewish law, a charge of blasphemy is worthy of death. And so what's interesting to note is that in cor- according to Jewish law, in order for someone to be charged with blasphemy, they would have to invoke the name of Yahweh. Right? Jesus would have to say, I am Yahweh. But he does not do that. So there's there's something against the Pharisees. They still push it through. Right. Another interesting fact about the trial is that they were at the home of Caiaphas. So again, according to Jewish law... I find law, that really interesting too. It is. Um, I know it doesn't say it in this, in Matthew, but um, where Peter denies him, yeah. right? Because he's watching, but he's watching... I almost feel like from a window. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much what yeah. it's like. But what's what's interesting, again, according to Jewish law, these trials needed to be done in a public hall. But they're not being done in public. They're being done in the private residence of Caiaphas. Right. Oh, and then you see in verse 59, it says that all the council uh, sought false testimony against Jesus. The council there likely contain members of the Pharisees that wanted to condemn Jesus. So Pharisees that would have voted against him or voted for in favor of Jesus were not present. Right. And then you have Caiaphas condemning Jesus based on his own words. Again, Jewish law, you needed two or three witnesses. You couldn't condemn someone based on their own words. You needed other witnesses. They didn't have that. And then you have the verdict pronounced in verse 66. The verdict is pronounced at night. Jewish law says that there needs to be a 24-hour period between trial and verdict. That was missing from this instance. Everyone voting the same way, it's an instance of conspiracy, and so the person would be let go free of charge. And then lastly, uh, the trials were not to be held on the eve of the Sabbath or on feast days. And here we have it in full swing during the Passover. That one's a big red flag. Yes. (laughs) Huge. And then we get into verses 69 through 75. Oh, look, that's how I chunked it, too. Yep, to uh, wrap up the chapter here. So this is when Peter denies Christ. Right. This is happening in parallel with the trial before Caiaphas. Right. Peter is outside the courtyard, and here we have the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy from verse 34, where Peter denies him three times. Yep. And once he remembers and realizes at the rooster crow, right, he went out and wept bitterly. 
So here you have a man that was so convinced that he could not betray the Lord that he was ready and willing to fight 600 men alone with a dagger and now he has um, he has rejected him like everyone else. Not reject in a salvation sense, but is the shepherd almost is like in a, in a shameful way, right. right? Like he's ashamed yep. and doesn't want to be yep. seen. He know. is. He he. I think there's leaves. also this fear of death as right. well. Like right. He, you know, which he, Jesus actually prayed for strength for, for their strength for them to not be a part of it because obviously there's right. this work they have to do after. But yeah. No, that's that's fine. So now he leaves, weeping over the fact that he's denied the Lord, um, again, whom he was ready to die for a few hours ago. Yeah, it's like it's weird. It is weird to read it and like see the confidence like waver. Yeah, Yeah. in each different section too. Right. So because it does, it's like they have confidence and then there's this lack and then they have it and then there's this lack and. It's, you know, it just goes to show us, too, that we're like that. We kind of waver. We're not always consistent in our confidence in the Lord. Right. You know? So. Um, I also noted, too, within that same section, that moment when we realize, like, oh, gosh. um, Or I realize I've done something that is not right in God's eyes. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking, right? I can I can relate to Peter yep. in that sense that his heart is broken, that he realized, oh my gosh, I just did what I said I wasn't going to do, yep. you know? Um, and then the greatness of it, though, is that Jesus knew what Peter was going to do. Yep. And he also knows when we fail and he still loves and cares for, you know, us more than... I can even comprehend, you know, there's this love that he has for us. Exactly. So, and even though it's a stinky situation, like, God is still there and still loves us through that. He is faithful when we are faithless. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. So, but that's all I had. Cool. Same here. That wraps up chapter 26. Yeah, so we have two more to go, and then we'll be done. Um, so we can start something new in the new year. Yep. All right, so we'll catch you in the next one for Matthew 27. See ya. Bye.